Most of the time, I'm, I'm, I'm quite careful to make sure that the viewer knows that it's a man. Yeah. As, as feminine as I make it, um, as, you know, perfectly coiffed and gowned and bejeweled, um, I still want them to know that that's a man in there. Hey everybody, it's October in Portland. It's still sunny, still warm. I'm amazed, but I know the rains are coming. The monsoon is coming soon. Yeah. Anyway, uh, I had a very interesting week. Uh, Duncan Trussell invited me to join him in San Francisco and in Portland for uh, live podcast recordings. He's on tour doing live podcast recordings. So I flew down to San Francisco, spent a couple days in uh, in the East Bay with uh, some friends there and uh, did the show with Duncan and then flew up here and did another show uh, in, in Portland. And I'll tell you, it's amazing. It's amazing. I don't understand it. Um, I don't, you know, as I've said before, I don't really get this whole podcast thing. I mean, I'm here I am, you know, in the middle of it, and I'm enjoying it, and I'm glad you are, and I'm glad we're all here, but I still don't really understand how we all ended up here. Maybe I'm just too old. I don't know. Maybe it's a generational thing. But um, it's fantastic. And so what's even, you know, takes that that weirdness to another level is the idea that people will come out and spend money uh to hang out in a room uh, basically listening to me and Duncan have a conversation which uh is wonderful but again kind of weird you know it's kind it and i was thinking like my relationship with duncan is st- surreal as well because i've known the guy 4 years now probably and i consider him a a close friend we've we've had some real deep conversations and and shared some very personal things. Um, and I think I said to him in San Francisco, he's one of my very favorite straight men. And the reason is that he's fearless about sharing emotion and vulnerability and and um, things that straight men generally are have a hard time opening up about. And Duncan is, he's past that. He's, in fact, he... You know, he's interested in it. So he sort of thrives on uh, openness and fearlessness in in his vulnerability, Uh, which is a rare and wonderful thing. But I was saying that that we've got this surreal friendship because uh, four years we've been hanging out and probably 80% of the conversations we've had have been on podcasts. His, mine, Rogan, somebody's, they've been recorded and so on one level, you could look at that and say, oh, that's a bunch of Hollywood bullshit, you know, because I mean, we, all the time, like we'll get together and we're going to do a podcast and, you know, we're having a beer and chatting and, you know, within minutes, we're into something interesting and one or both of us will say, ah, shit, save it for the podcast, you know, like 
don't talk about anything interesting or new or funny or whatever because we're going to go into the other room and we can share it with everyone else, you know? Now, I understand on one level that seems like very artificial in a way. <coughs> Excuse me. Like if we're not performing somehow, uh, well, there, there's this assumption that performance is false. And that's the thing about podcasting. It's not, it's not false. And in fact, it may be less false than just normal life in a way. I mean, you know, I, I said he and I have shared so much together. And I think one of the reasons we keep doing podcasts together is that both of us have this tendency to just say, oh, fuck it. I'll just say it. You know, like in Portland, I found myself telling a story I'd never told publicly before that involved me being upside down in the living room and my wife sticking a funnel up my ass or down my ass in this case and pouring extra virgin olive oil into me. It's a long story. It involves a kidney stone. And um, I mean, what am I doing? I'm sitting here on stage in front of 300 people telling this crazy story that I wouldn't tell most of my closest friends. Uh, but there we go, you know. And I think that so so there's this weird sense in which the artifice of our relationship or the presence of the microphones at any rate um, brings us to a, a place that's probably deeper and more concentrated than we would go if we were just sitting somewhere having a beer and a laugh. So in that sense, the presence of the microphones makes intensifies the friendship. The fact that people are out there listening doesn't make us perform in a false way. It makes us tighten our shit up in a way that makes it more real somehow. So in that sense, I think at least the way Duncan and I and, and Joe Rogan and, and you know other people uh, envision it, and probably Mark Myron, uh, Marin, um, is known for his, uh, you know, his fearlessness in sharing the details of his life. Um, I think in that sense, <clears throat> excuse me, I've got a cold coming on, uh, but I don't think you can catch it. I've got a, I've got a cold guard over my mic. Um, anyway, the, uh, yeah, the presence of the microphones actually makes it, um, more real, not less real. Strange, but true. Um, recently I tweeted something, um, that people have sort of asked me to expand upon in, in the podcast. So I, I will a little bit. I tweeted this, I was thinking, I was thinking about how, um, you know, back in the day when I was backpacking around a lot, traveling a lot, I was lonely a lot because I was traveling alone most of the time. And, you know, I would spend months or years in Asia and South America, wherever. And, uh, you know, I didn't know anybody uh, except whoever I met that day or the day before. And normally, you know, people are on their own itineraries. They're going places. So, even if you meet someone and you connect really deeply, they're gone or you're gone uh, shortly thereafter. So there is a, a lot of loneliness involved in that kind of life. And of course, this was before you could, you know, text people and, and um, share things so easily and so quickly 
using technology. Um, I was taking pictures on 30, uh, 30, what is it? 35 millimeter Kodachrome film that I wouldn't even see the photographs until I got home and developed them. If the film wasn't stolen, you know, in the meantime, so it was a different world, and it, it seems weird to say that, and I know, you know, people, when they get into their 50s, they all start, you know, yammering about how different things were when they were younger, but each each generation, I think, you know, we see, because change is accelerating, it really is different in a deep way, in a, in a deep and fundamental way that, you know, hasn't been seen before absent, you know, massive historical shifts, you know, like, like, well, you know, when I was young, there was no World War II, and now there is. Well, that's a pretty big change. I'm not, I'm not uh, comparing anything to that. But uh, what I tweeted was that some of the deepest moments I've ever had in my life, the deepest experiences and, and the deepest memories that stay with me now, happened when I was alone. And I said something about there being a, a lasting depth in solitude. And what I mean by that is that, you know, it, it's wonderful to share beautiful experiences with someone. But I do feel that there's something lost in that. There, there, are, there is undoubtedly a great deal that's gained. But there's something that's lost as well. There's, um, there's a focus that you can have when you're alone that is simply impossible when there's another person there. Uh, it's very hard to find someone with whom you can travel comfortably. And this is advice I would always give to young couples thinking about making long-term commitments, having kids, moving in together, yada, yada, yada. Travel together if you can before you make those commitments. I mean travel. I mean a month, two months, three months minimum. On the road, not a fucking vacation in a hotel in Hawaii. I'm talking about hardships. I'm talking about buses that don't come. I'm talking about crazy taxi drivers and you got to decide whether to tell him to just let you out in the middle of nowhere because he's driving too crazy. I'm talking about shitty rooms, maybe bed bugs. I'm talking about dealing with the weirdness and unexpected challenges of travel together because that is the best, most efficient, quickest way to... um, to bring up your strengths and weaknesses uh, as a couple, uh, to see how you negotiate these things. Who who gets to make what decisions? Do you share responsibility, every responsibility, or is it like one of you's like, you know, I'm going to deal with the hotels, you're going to deal with the restaurants? Is it that sort of thing? See how that stuff shakes out. Um, because those are the same patterns that are going to recur for the rest of your life together. But back to the solitude thing, there's, there's a big difference between loneliness and aloneness. Let's say that again, the difference between loneliness and aloneness. Loneliness is where you're feeling the absence of other people. And aloneness is where you're simply 
deeply conscious of your solitude. It's not a negative thing. In fact, it can be an incredibly positive thing, which doesn't mean it's always comfortable. Being alone is an unnatural state for a human being. We're the most social animal. And yet there is a cleanliness and a focus to solitude that is unimaginable to those who have never truly felt it. And there are experiences that I've had 25, 30 years ago that I had alone that reverberate in the depths of my soul to this day in ways I could never explain or even want to try really because as Joseph Conrad said, we live as we dream alone. And I think we are ultimately always alone. And the presence of other people distracts us from that fact. But sometimes it's better not to be distracted from that fact. Sometimes it's good to face uh, the essence, the bare primordial, inescapable essence of our being. Anyway, uh, the other uh, thing that happened this week that um, sort of blew my mind was that a mutual friend of ours, of Duncan's and and mine, had uh, a medical emergency. And I didn't know anything about it until we were about to go on stage and Duncan said, hey, did you hear uh, so-and-so's in the hospital in critical condition? I said, no. He said, yeah, that's all I know. So I thought he had a car accident or something. But it turns out that what happened was uh, that he was doing an Ibogaine um, experience for those of you who don't know, ibogaine is an African plant that is a very strong hallucinogen. Um, and in fact, uh, from what I understand, I've never experienced it, but my understanding is that the effects last 48 hours or so. It's a long, intense experience. And um, the details I have are sketchy, but from what I understand, he was doing this experience with some sort of shaman or healer or somebody, and uh, and they thought the experience was pretty much over, and the the shaman left, and my our friend said, "Yeah, I'm okay," and so the shaman left, and then something happened, and he passed out and sort of collapsed on the floor um, on his legs in a weird position, and he was unconscious for a couple of days before someone found him. And so he uh, cut off circulation to his legs and had all sorts of you know organ, major organ failure and... and apparently if he you know if he weren't so young and strong he would have died and so now he's in the hospital and uh, i hope to visit him soon but the point i wanted to make was that um on this podcast and and others we talk a lot about the benefits of some of these sacred substances and the potential that they have for healing which is undeniable and uh profound but let's not ever 
forget that an essential element in unlocking that healing potential is respect. Respect for yourself, respect for the substance, respect for the meaning of what you're trying to accomplish. Um, And that these things should never be used casually. There's a reason they're considered gifts of the gods by every society that's ever had access to them. They are on another plane. There's something about them that is uh, that opens to the prepared, respectful heart. Like they say, you know, when the when the student is ready, the teacher appears. And I think that's true of life in so many ways. But apply that same thinking to your interactions with hallucinogens, ladies and gentlemen. Never. Please never consider them, you know, like smoking a joint or drinking a beer or even ecstasy. You know, you can take ecstasy if it's real, which is a big if, and, you know, go to a party and have a good time. And and that's, that's that. But you don't want to take mushrooms or LSD or ayahuasca or peyote or any of the true hallucinogens and and go to a bar or go to a concert. No, no. With all respect to the deadheads of the world, that's not the right way to do this. The right way to do this is getting back to what I said earlier, uh, in solitude, but not alone. Uh, The right way to do these things is where there's someone there to take care of you, someone there to make sure everything's going to be cool. If you start to freak out, they can talk you down or just hold you uh, while you go through the darkness. Um, And if there's a a physical issue, then they're going to be able to help you with the physical issue. But uh, you don't want to be in a fucking bar or a party or some place where there's a lot of distraction. That's disrespectful to the experience itself. And I don't at all mean this little rant as any sort of a judgment of my friend. He's a wonderful dude, and um, you know he's a, he's an explorer, and he was just trying to explore, and something went wrong, which it can happen with exploration. And in fact, I was thinking uh, I might do a little special episode of talking out my ass, where I talk about one of my incredibly dumb drug experiences. Uh, <laughs> much, yeah, where I was in northern Thailand and decided um, to uh, to try heroin because that's where heroin comes from, most of it. So it was like, you know, when in Rome kind of thing. And um, yeah, that could have gone, well, it did go pretty badly, but it could have gone worse, obviously. I'm still here. So uh, I think I'm going to record that maybe tonight or tomorrow. In any case, I've been ranting for almost 20 minutes, so that's enough. Uh, this this episode is not brought to you by any sponsor except Sure Design T-shirts, who, uh, whether I forget to mention them or not, are always a wonderful sponsor from the beginning. If you use the code SEXATDAWN, all one word, at checkout, I think you get 10 or 15% off. And you just go to the site, check them out, suredesigntshirts.com. You'll see they've got all sorts of very cool yoga wear and funky 
octopus designs and, and all sorts of great stuff. I'm, I'm rethinking this whole sponsorship thing, how to handle that, because honestly, uh, I just don't feel comfortable pitching stuff to you. I, I feel like, like I said earlier, I kind of feel like you're part of my friendships with people and 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 I, you know, even stuff I like, I, I feel weird trying to convince friends to buy things. You know what I mean? If you ask me, hey, you know, where'd you get that underwear? Then I'd be happy to tell you about my package. But it just feels weird to me to be hawking stuff. So I'm not sure. I'm, I'm rethinking this and talking to some people about maybe doing a, taking a different approach to this. But I'll keep you posted on that. In the meantime, um, you know, feel free to, to buy uh, Sex of Dawn t-shirts, uh, tangentially speaking shirts, uh, whatever from chrisryanphd.com. You see the store there. And um, this this uh, episode is with Stephen O'Donnell, who's an artist. Um, I encourage you to check out his site, Stephen O'Donnell. That's S-T-E-P-H-E-N-O-D-O-N-N-E-L-L, artist.com. And you can see his artwork. It is fascinating. Um, very accomplished technically and uh, quirky, imaginative, um, ironic, uh, just visually stunning and intellectually intriguing. So I'm not any sort of an art expert, but I met him at uh, Andrew Gurevich's place uh, one night. Uh, Andrew, as you may recall, is the uh, my what's he call himself? My podcast power bottom. And, uh, so I was over there with Andrew and Celeste and met, uh, met Steven and, and his friend and, and we got chatting and Andrew pulled up a couple of uh, his paintings on his iPad and I was just blown away. So I set up an interview, uh, and went down and talked with him, talked about art, talked about what it's like to be a visual artist and, the whole gender bending thing and uh, had a great time and really enjoyed getting to know him a little. I'm going to leave you with a little orchestra baobab. The song's called El Son Te Yama. They're a really funky West African group. I think they're in the 70s. I don't know. Long classic. Um, but fantastic because what they do is they, they're a West African group that plays Cuban music, which of course is based on West African music. So it's sort of the, uh, the ultimate in world music, multicultural influence. El Son Te Llama. I'm here with Stephen O'Donnell, uh, who is an artist I met at a friend's place a couple weeks ago, and um, I guess Andrew showed me some of your work when we were mm-hmm. there on his ever-present iPad. Yeah, yeah. He's, he really uses that iPad, yeah. doesn't he? 
I had an iPad, uh, and I just I, the only thing I ever used it for was reading the New Yorker. Yeah, yeah. You know. Yeah. And uh, so I ended up giving it to a friend's kids because they were using their mother's iPad for games, yeah, and yeah. it was becoming a problem. So. Yeah. For me, it doesn't seem to have much use, but man, he's on that thing. Well, it's good for something like that where there, you do want to see an image, you know, Visuals, better yeah. than your phone. Yeah, right. So, uh, yeah, that's why I liked it in the New Yorker. That some yeah. of the great photography and, and uh, art that's in the New Yorker comes through so beautifully on yeah. that. But anyway, we're not here to talk about technology. <laughs> uh, we're sitting in the ga- what's the name of the gallery? Frolic right? Gallery. The Frolic Gallery yeah. in downtown Portland, surrounded by uh, some of Stephen's art, which I'll take pictures of and post on my site. Uh, so I'm here with Stephen O'Donnell, who's a, f- would you say a fine artist? Is a fine yeah. artist a thing as opposed to being a, like, he's an artist and he's fine. Uh-huh. Fine you know, art is different. Fine art, yes. As opposed to modern art or As, as opposed to graphic art. art. Ah, okay. And yeah, well, modern art would be fine art too, depending, but mm. yeah, yeah. Well, your your stuff. I'm not an art expert, but your stuff to me seems, uh, well, it's obviously historical yep. in in style. So, is this? I'm looking at. We're looking at three different paintings mm-hmm. right here. They they seem eighteen early 1800s Napoleon uh, late that? late 1700s mid uh, about 1880 about 1770. Yeah, mm, okay. so they're very specific time wise. Right. Yeah. So you're. Your your stuff seems to be full of of signals. Mm. I mean, in the sense that you're mixing genres. I was reading about some of the stuff uh, earlier. I was reading your your statement mm. on your website. Mm. And uh, what do I say? Oh. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, ho- I hope you you actually wrote this. But I think I did. You said the historicized portrait. You're doing mm-hmm. a lot of historicized portraits, which yeah. is an artistic stylization mm-hmm. in which a recognizable subject is depicted in historical or mythological guise. Yeah, and this is something that was done quite a bit in European art mm-hmm. until the scientific yeah. viewpoint. People, so, people got to the point where it's like, that's ridiculous. Why are we doing that? So they stopped. Yeah. Interesting. So the, the beginning of the scientific viewpoint, you you locate in the late 19th century, early 20th century, yeah. industrial revolution. Yeah. Mid, kind of thing. probably more mid uh, 18th, uh, 19th century. Yeah. Uh, so more industrial revolution yeah. than, than yeah. mechanization. And yeah. all that. So that it's interesting to think like, you know, I, I, I try to line up artistic uh, um, endeavors mm. in terms of how they're responding to culture. Mm. Like, for example, I, I remember mm. reading a long time ago that uh, poetry, someone did a study, some, some hapless graduate student did a study of the use of color words in English poetry mm. just before and just after Newton. Hmm. And there was a huge leap right after Newton. Uh, so color, because of physics, mm-hmm. studies in physics, the whole there wasn't more color in people's lives, but right. they were intellectually more conscious of color as a concept, I guess. Uh-huh. Or at least the poets were. Yeah. So it was interesting when I read this, and you're talking about how the scientific revolution or the industrial revolution changed the way people made art stylistically not technically uh, and then eventually technically yeah too, of course yeah. of course 
Uh, just interesting, how, how, how does that get into the artist's head? How does the fact that people are looking at things scientifically suddenly make the sort of thing they were doing no longer relevant? Well, you know, if, if artists are, as I believe I am, you know, um, subconsciously sponging up everything around us all the time, um, that's going to come out in your work. Um, unless you're extremely calculating in what you're doing and, you know, you are doing assembly line work and you are, you know, going about it that way. If you're like me, you just, you know, whatever is going on in the back of the brain there and you just bring it forward and make some art. You know? How do you bring it forward? Um, it's not anything really conscious. It's, it's, it's very much subconsciously done. It's, it sounds kind of kooky but it isn't it isn't calculating it is it's you know i'm constantly looking at images um that interest me you know, i have a blog um where i'm collecting images and writing about them um and it's just what i do all the time and so i, I feel like it's it's sitting back there in my subconscious working stuff out um you know and and 50 some years of looking at things you know of of um training my eye to the things that um, interest me, that I love, um, it's got to go somewhere, at least for me, and then it comes out in my art. So, To what extent do you think you're more interested in created images as opposed to naturally occurring images? As far as my art goes, um, it's only created images. Right. You know, I, I, I just like most normal people, you know, I love nature and love seeing, you know, the things going on around me in the world, but that's not where my art comes from. Um, my art comes from art. Yeah, I was yeah. going to say your art is <laughs> yeah. of art in, yeah. in many, in, in, on many different levels. Yeah, yeah. And and the other very interesting thing, at least about your most recent stuff, mm -hmm. I guess, is that it's almost all, to some extent, self portrait. Mm -hmm. yeah. So again. That sort of looking back toward the subconscious mind is is happening in very interesting ways. Well, it's very freeing to do a self-portrait because you don't have to worry about what anybody else thinks of it. Um, and I didn't because, you know, <laughs> really? it's like, it's me. That's what I, how I'm going to present myself. And so you're never afraid someone's going to say, eh, Stephen, you're not that good looking. Anymore. Well, <laughs> oh, that, you, yeah, that's that, you 20 years ago. Well, yeah. And I have had to be careful about our... I'm, I'm gradually getting a little older in my work, but, um, but again, you know, I'm playing, you know, and so I don't, mm. you know, if, if I want a waistline that's 18 inches, you know, with a corset, <laughs> I can do that. It doesn't have to be real, yeah. you know, so, yeah, you know, or freckles, you know, I have freckles in real life. Usually don't see freckles in my paintings just because, you know, it just, to me, it's just, uh, it's not aesthetically what I want to do. Right. You know, I want something smooth and refined. And so, um, so yeah. So for people who, who are having trouble imagining what we're talking about and don't have access to uh -huh. a web a computer right now, mm -hmm. well, first of all, for those who yeah. do, what's your website is Stephen, Stephen O'Donnell Artist.com. Artist.com, yeah. okay. Yeah. And it's Stephen, uh, S-T-E-P-H-E-N. That's correct, O'Donnell. as it should be. Yes. yes. Oh. <laughs> oh, God. I've got a friend who spells it S-T-E-P-H-A-N. Oh. And I've misspelled it for years <laughs> in both the v and uh, the p-h-e-n yeah. form and he's corrected me several times he's sort of a you know um 
a uh, bit of a perfectionist, I mm. guess we could say. And, uh, and he was very helpful when I was working on Sex at Dawn. He gave me some really um, in-depth criticism. And I thanked him mm. in the acknowledgments and spelled his name. Wrong. <laughs> oh, that just killed him. Uh, killed me. Yeah, I'll tell you. Yeah. He actually he never mentioned that to me. Uh, he restrained gentleman. himself. Yeah, I guess. Uh, yeah, but I felt terrible about that. So <laughs> anyway, uh, where were we? Oh, for people who are having trouble visualizing yeah. this, a lot of a lot of the work that we're looking at that's uh, surrounding us right now. Um, it, is a sort of a recognizable historical style, something you would find in the Frick Museum in New York. Sure, Frick's good. With your face, <laughs> like where you expect to see some Victorian lady or, yeah. or you know, seven, uh, 18th century French lady. Yeah. Your face, your hairy chest, mm-hmm. and her pearls. Yes. <laughs> well, I tr- you know, I don't, most of the time I'm, I'm, I'm quite careful to make sure that the viewer knows that it's a man. Yeah. As, as feminine as I make it, um, as, you know, perfectly coiffed and gowned and bejeweled, um, I still want them to know that that's a man in there. Just now, because uh, otherwise it's just a picture of a woman, which nothing wrong with that. Right. But, I mean, if you don't yeah. know, you know, that's, I think you're missing something. It makes so. it less interesting, yeah, certainly. Yeah. And, and also the fact that it's you makes mm. it more interesting as well. I mean, if people Hopefully. don't know what the artist <laughs> uh-huh. looked like, uh-huh. right, then, although if they see the same face in several different things, yeah. then they're starting to think, hey, wait a minute. I, I think you can tell, yeah, mostly, yeah. So what, you know, we were talking about bringing something up from the subconscious, mm-hmm. and, and also you, you're talking about how, I'd never thought of that. A self-portrait, you don't need to worry about what anyone else thinks of it because, like, you are ultimately, you're sitting for yourself. Mm-hmm. So I guess when you do, do you do portraiture of other people? I have. Right. Yeah, not a lot recently. I, I started out doing that when I was a kid. My mom kind of, I wouldn't say pimped me out, but a little bit, you know, got me uh, jobs doing uh, Fair portraits. Enough. paying for your haircuts <laughs> and your you know, kids. Yeah, painting portraits of... Um, of uh, you know people she knew you know for twenty bucks for an oil painting you know it's not back bad. in the day. Um, Did you get any of that cash? Oh yeah, yeah, I got it. Yeah, she no, she she wasn't keeping it. Yeah, she was just <laughs> she was just arranging the so deal. So she's a good pimp. Yeah, yeah. Um, good name for your memoirs, by the way. <laughs> Mom was a good pimp. Oh dear. Okay, we're gonna get in trouble here. Um, but what was I saying? Oh, uh, uh, so the portrait, portraiture. Portrait, yeah. It's always been about portraits. Even when I was a small kid, that's what I was drawing: portraits of famous people. Because I always loved history, um, famous people in history, Louis the Fourteenth, you know, whoever. Um, and so that's what I always wanted to do. Um, I didn't do self-portraits. Um, maybe one, two, before ninety-five uh, or ninety-four when I started making the body of work that was going to be my first show in mm. 95. Um, so self-portraits was not, not something that interested me at all. Um, but then once I did it, I realized that thing where it could be the story of whatever's going on in that painting and not about, not this distancing thing that the viewer will look at a portrait of someone and go, oh, that's, you know, that's about that person. You know, if it's about the artist, at least I, this is the way I have it in my head. If it's about the artist, they can do whatever they want with the story. There's a kind of openness to that hmm. um, story 
um, where they don't have, there isn't, they don't feel that, um, I don't know, uh, portraits can be troubling to people because they, they're not pure in a way. They are about someone. And so they, it's like they have to be viewed um, with that person in mind. Right. If that makes sense. Yeah, and in many cases, especially with the time frames we're talking mm -hmm. about, with you know the source work for these mm -hmm. sort of styles, most people don't know it's the you know the count of somebody mm -hmm. or somebody's you know yeah. wife or you know Mona right. Lisa. No one knows really. Right, right. Yeah, you know, as you were talking, I was thinking a portrait is is actually about two people. It's mm -hmm. about the person who's sitting, mm -hmm. and it's about the artist. Mm -hmm. And so, by not having the artist appear mm -hmm. in the work there's something there's someone missing there's mm -hmm. half the equation is missing and it's actually the more interesting half well generally. you know it depends on who it depends on who's paying for the painting <laughs> well that's the thing right you, know, you see um, all these rembrandt yeah. you know portraits right, in, right. in amsterdam yeah. and it's like i don't give a shit who that you know some fat right, right, rich right. tulip farmer or whatever <laughs> right it was, right you know? exactly speaking of rembrandt yeah. his self-portraits mm -hmm. are i have always blown my mind mm -hmm. with and this relates back to what you were saying earlier about you know adding um or or, or uh, deleting blemishes or freckles mm -hmm. or adding this flourish sure. or that i mean i don't know what he looked like in real life right. but i can't imagine those things aren't pretty damn honest right right as you see him age right it's it's yeah. heartbreaking yeah way. But then again, he he was recording. He wasn't trying to add anything or to tell some other story other than here I am. Mm. You know, that's definitely not what I'm doing. Mm. You know, maybe I'll do a portrait someday that's just like, okay, here I am. But um, yeah. Well, I, to what extent are you in these mm. paintings? Like the one we're looking at right. here, what, what is this one called? That is La Lorgnette. La Lorgnette. Yeah. Does it appear on your site? Yeah. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So people can can look that up to mm -hmm. know what we're talking about. Mm -hmm. um, now, now, when you refer to this figure, mm -hmm. do you say me or you, do you say this <laughs> person? Or you know, it gets you a little say? complicated. Yeah. It gets complicated for my wife too because it's like he, she, uh, what do we call it? Um, so it gets called various things. Right. Yeah. Me. The figure. Yeah. Um, is wearing a, a blue, is that satin? Yeah. Uh, dress. Embroidered. Beautiful with uh, jewelry and, and uh, very um, tightly coiffed hair. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> like a bullet head. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. But that was the style. Yeah. You know? that's, I mean, that's my, my pedantic little uh, thing I get to do in, in my work is, you know, make everything as accurate as I can. You know, I can design something, but it's got to be in the right style. Right. You know, the jewelry that she's got on, see, there we go, she, um, uh -huh. the jewelry I have on, whoever has on, um, you know, is accurate for the time. That ghastly looking hairstyle is accurate for the time. The, even yeah. the, the design on the wall, I imagine, and, yeah. the, and the inlaid table. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It would be appropriate for the time. Yeah. Are you a, a Rolling Stones fan by any chance? <laughs> um, no, and I don't know how you got to that question from well, there. Because <laughs> what I was thinking is that they, every once in a while they'll do a song in a completely different style. Oh, like they'll right. do a reggae song oh, right, or right. a country western song. Uh -huh. they, there's a tune called The Girl with the Faraway Eyes. Uh -huh. It's a country western song, uh -huh. and it's... You know, listening to it, you say, all right, they're making fun of Country Western right, right, here. Because right. it's all like, you know, he's listening to the colored radio station. And, <laughs> you know, and the good Lord said something. And I ran 20 red lights in his honor. 
Thank you, Jesus. Uh, but at the same time, to to do something, to pull off a satire mm. with that much accuracy, mm. you have to actually love the thing that you're... Right. Definitely. Not that your work is satire, but you, you're so... It could easily be, though. Ah. You know, if I didn't love the things I'm representing, if I mm. thought they were funny, you know, um, it would be a very, it'd be very different work. Yeah. You know, and I've see, I see... Um, other people, especially um, contemporary artists who are doing sort of takes on the 18th century, the whole Marie Antoinette, you know, mania, you know, so mm. everyone's got big hair, which I do too, but I don't do it in that way where it's, it's kind of like, oh, isn't it funny? You know, I do it like seriously. Yeah. And it's still hopefully funny because it's me, you know. Yeah, so, yeah. yeah. They get up to the face and they're not expecting the five o'clock show. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But otherwise, you know, it's it's a respectful representation of that style that period so is there something i i think we talked about this a little bit the other night mm-hmm. um the particularly in rembrandt and the van gogh self-portraits mm-hmm. there's something in the eyes mm-hmm. um that really struck me um i was actually tripping one time mm-hmm. um on lsd in the mm-hmm. metropolitan in mm-hmm. new york and i was standing there in that little <laughs> van gogh alcove uh-huh. that they have and they've got that um amazing self-portrait with the blue light blue mm-hmm. sort of squirrel yeah. squirrely circles behind Beautiful. him and, yeah. he's, and the bright orange beard mm-hmm. and, and he's he's like i think He's not, well, I don't know how to describe He's this. He's a three-quarter, I, I think. I think it's three-quarter, yeah. 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 So there's one eye is a little in shadow mm-hmm. and the other eye is out more. And right. and I don't know if I read somewhere or someone told me whatever, but I, I remember just putting my hand up and looking at half of his face mm-hmm. and absorbing what was being communicated mm-hmm. there and then doing the other mm-hmm. half. And it was like completely different. Wow. One was... Yeah. What the hell are you looking at? I'm coming at you. I'm I'm powerful. Mm-hmm. I'm, and the other was please don't hurt me. Please, yeah, yeah. you know, just, just yeah. walk on by. And the combined power of that, mm. you know. So now I'm thinking what you just said that that Rembrandt was recording, mm. right? As opposed to putting something more there. Now was. When you say that, do you mean he was sitting in front and of a, a deep mirror? level? I mean, you know. Well, that's it. Yeah. Recording much more yeah, than recording visuals. sounds like it's a, a superficial thing. Right. You know, if you're talking about people like those two artists, it's deep. You know? Yeah. So, 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 what's he recording? I mean, when mm. you're when you're painting your mm-hmm. own eyes, mm-hmm. for example, in this work, mm-hmm. are you going for an expression that? fits into that historical period the way you are with the furniture and the jewelry and everything. Mm, yeah. There's a certain sort of arrogant uh, distance of the upper class mm. French you know, aristocracy. Yeah. Or, or are you looking in a mirror at your own eyes? What's no, well, the I work from photographs anyways. But, uh, uh, and at this point, I could pretty much draw my own face without looking at a photograph. But um, I, I'm letting... My subconscious do the work. Mm. So I don't really think about the content or what anybody else will see um, when they look at the work. I just, you know, I've got a design to um, to complete, you know, an idea, um, the details. Um, it's very subconscious. <laughs> it's really hard for me to explain because yeah. because I don't think about I don't think about the impact I don't think about the 
you know the what's going on right in there it's just you know i just let it go which sounds so easy mm. to someone who doesn't mm. uh, do creative work but is so fucking hard yeah I, th- I mean, I at least for me, is. as a writer, it's really <laughs> yeah, hard. Yeah. It, it's, I feel like a coal miner. It mm. takes me so long to get to the point where, where that can happen. Mm. I, I, I imagine maybe it's easier as an artist. Although in one of it these... It depends, yeah, I guess. Yeah. One of these things I read, I think it was mm. in the newspaper article, you, it says, um, right, uh, what's most surprising is that Stephen can name the exact month, May 1995... When at age thirty-seven he became a painter, <laughs> do you remember that? Well, that's that's my first show, right? And, and um, I had never really tried to do anything with my painting. I mean, it always been a making art since I was a small child, but I I wanted to do other things too. You know, I sing and blah blah blah. You know, I wanted to design costumes, and so um, I rebelled a little bit a lot um, about, you know, the pressure to be an artist. Um, And it's like, well, I have these other things I want to do too, Uh, you know, and so I kind of put that aside. And, you know, I had a day job, you know, I worked in retail, you know, just living, you know, growing up. And then um, got to the point where it's like, I think it was out of a job, I was running out of money, and it was sort of like, well, fuck, why don't I try to do something with art? You know, and so, so this is not how it's supposed to work. But I had some drawings, some like pen and ink drawings, very tortured little Frida Kahlo esque um, pictures of me as a child. You know, with thorns and hummingbirds, and you know the whole wow. the whole bit. Did you have a unibrow? Um, no, <laughs> but I yeah, it would have fit right in. <laughs> but um, but I took them to a gallery. And because um, someone said, oh, she's nice. She'll give you some advice um, on what to do. Cause it's like, you know, I didn't go to art school. I don't, I don't know how these things are supposed to happen. I didn't have any slides. You know, you did slides at the time. Um, so I went in and she liked what she saw and said, you know, can you put together a show in, in two months? I was like, yeah, I can do that. <laughs> it's just about when I be out of rent money. <laughs> yeah, definitely. So, wow. Yeah. And it was successful. And, you know, it's been going since then. That's so. fantastic. But, and again, yeah. that's when the self-portrait started. So ah. it's yeah, kind of weird, weird how that happened. But Huh. Now, is there, and again, forgive me mm-hmm. for, um, like, asking you to consciously comment on things that you might prefer to just leave in the, you know, in the subconscious. Mm. There, Wordsworth said, we murder to dissect. Mm. You know, so yeah. I don't, I don't want to murder right. anything or, you know, dissecting it. <laughs> um, but I wonder if, if in a sense, you know, for, you know, I'm a psychologist, mm. right? So I, I hear you say, this is when I became an artist and this is, you know, in, in the sense of a professional. Mm-hmm. And this is when I started the self-portraits. Mm-hmm. And that makes me think, well, you know, there's a closing of a of a circle there. There's mm. a guy, it sounds to me like you're a guy who was always hearing from people, you should be an artist, you mm. should be an artist. Oh, you're yeah. so good, you should be an artist. And you're like, hey, just because I'm yeah. tall doesn't mean I should be a basketball right, player, right? right. So, and the other side of it was um, my immediate family, my mom and dad, didn't understand the whole art thing at all. And they were just confused by it and it's like what are you going to do with that you can't make you can't get a job doing that you know so I got you know from my maternal grandmother especially was the big pusher um, who I was very close to a big pusher it's like you are amazing and this is what you should do and then the other 
the other thing was like, no, you can't do that. That's ridiculous, you know. And and uh, they were just confused by it. They right. didn't understand what the hell I was trying to do um, as I'm drawing, you know, pictures of celebrities, you know, when I'm, you know, when I was a teenager, you know. And they were good, but you know, it's like uh, nobody knew what to do. And so there was just, you know, opposing forces. Yeah. So finally, it's like, uh, no, I'll just I'll just step away and right. not worry about this for a while. So. You know why kids and their grandparents get a, get along so well? I, I know it's definitely easier. They have a common enemy. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Yes. Well. So, so tell me about your your family, if you're mm-hmm. if you can. Your parents sure. weren't creative, but your grandmother was. Yeah. Yeah. My mom's mother was very creative. I was very close to her. Um, she wasn't an artist, but everything she did was beautiful. You know, uh-huh. She had a design, a clothing design business, a little, little small business for a while. And she, you know, arranged flowers, Ikebana, Japanese style right. flowers. And her house was always beautiful. And you know, she didn't have money, but everything she did was with care and, and, you know, about making, making life beautiful. And, and, um, and she taught, I, I, what I always say is she taught me how to see, right. To look, you know, that you can look and see, okay, this is next to this, and this reflects this. And the the thing that you need to to do what I do is you need to take th- you know three dimensions and make them two dimensions. So you have to see how all the the shapes and everything interrelates, um, so that you can recreate that. Um, and so it, I feel like she definitely taught me that, or or encouraged that in me. And you. You are self-taught, mm-hmm. yeah. so you picked up that stuff. Mm-hmm. You know how the light interacts mm-hmm. and the shadows, and mm-hmm. you know uh, what is it called parallax, and creating distance. Sure, is that called parallax? <laughs> I don't know. I'm I self-taught. What do I know? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, let me let me show you some things. Oh, okay, but no, like like you know uh, who uh, I guess it was a uh, was a Michelangelo who apparently first figured out like how you would have train tracks going mm, into the, the whole perspective the, thing. Yeah. yeah, yeah. It's, kind of still mystifies me a bit but yeah. I'm, I'm working on it yeah right <laughs> i mean you can it it i guess some people like just paint on glass essentially right i mean you just look on some look at something and there's a a clear pane of glass here and you just sort of put what you see mm. does that you're work metaphorically yeah oh, okay <laughs> yeah but I, I don't know if that would even work because you're you're looking at it with two eyes right but you sort of need to create the image with one unified perspective, I guess. I don't know. Maybe I'm... I'm you know, it's complicated. I'm and it's, veering it's, off into nonsense. Well, and it's... And to, to some degree, especially if you haven't had any proper training, you know, you have to work it out for yourself. And so you don't... I don't necessarily have language for knowing how to do what I do. Right. But but after a while, your your eye says... This is right. That's not right. You know, and you keep you keep doing that over the years yeah. until you know you get a sense of it. And and also, um, you know, if you're smart, you will or you know, smart. Uh, you have a good uh, feeling of self preservation. You won't um, put yourself. You you won't try to do more than you can. You know, until you're ready. And we say that you know, successful art is. Um, technical ability in balance with ambition. Mm. Um, because, you know, I look at older work and go, mm, I see what I was trying to do, but I wasn't ready yet. Right. You know, so. 
Yeah, yeah, but you don't always know what you're ready for, do no, you? No, no, you don't. Yeah. Uh, but I think... Especially I think when you, you're young. Yeah, oh, yeah. I think you can develop some sort of instinct, though. Um, and maybe it just comes with age. <laughs> Have you tried teaching art? <laughs> uh, no. It would yeah. probably be tough, right? Cause you, it, it would be interesting. I, I'm thinking, I, I've definitely thought about it, but I don't know what the, uh, you know, since I don't have any education, you know, I don't have any kind of degree. So I don't know. I don't know if anyone would would want my uneducated self anywhere around. So, Well, I'm sure there are plenty yeah. of young artists who would who would love to mm-hmm. gain from your mm-hmm. insight. But, it, but it's interesting because since you're, I mean, I taught English for, mm-hmm. for years, right? And uh, I I always hated grammar. I never uh, paid attention. Uh, Both my parents were uh, very educated. Uh, my father was a writer. My uh, mother taught in high schools and stuff. And they both spoke very good English. So mm-hmm. I always knew what was right and wrong. But the first time I started teaching English and, and someone said to me, well, you know, I don't understand why in the negative uh, present uh, simple tense. You don't have the ad, the the what is it called the ad, ad, adjunct verb, and then in the present perfect you do in the negative, but not in the positive or the continuous. And I was like, I have no fucking clue what they're talking about. All I know is yeah. this is how you say it. Yeah, you know? yeah, yeah. So that that was kind of humiliating in uh, a way, you know. Uh, you know, not that you would be in that position, but but it's kind of the same thing though, where. Um, I don't necessarily know why it's right or wrong, uh, exactly. but I do, yeah. and I'm right. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, so. so someone, if a student says, yeah. I don't understand why, you know, why did you put that yellow vase there? I'm like, well, because that's where it has to be. That's right. And that's the color it has to be. <laughs> so, so maybe I'm not ready to teach. <laughs> sit down and shut yeah, up. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Um, so can you can you take us through your, your process when you, because... Again, you know, skip whatever or, mm-hmm. or you know, no pressure. Mm-hmm. But because I know a lot of it, you're saying it's it's this surging from the subconscious. Mm-hmm. So do you have rituals that you go through? Do you stand in front of a blank canvas and just see what happens? Or do you have it all worked Definitely out in your not. head before? <laughs> yeah, it's pretty much worked out in my head before. Um, it used to be very much one way it's a little looser now but the but the way it always was before and and most of the time is now is that you know i'll just have an idea pop into my head like pretty much formed you know it's all laid out um and um you know it's jot it down um i have a little I don't draw very well, oddly enough. Really? Uh, I don't have the dexterity, so it's it's a struggle, you know, just erase, draw, erase. But um, I will, you know, like three by five notepads, I'll just jot down with a little little uh, pen, in, in a little uh, felt-tip pen, whoop, 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 horrible little thing. But it reminds me, okay, that's the picture. It's it's there, mm. and so, I can, so I don't forget it, because I will forget it. Right. You want to make notes about color or... Or whatever, and then uh, you know if there's some. I mean, sometimes it's not a hundred percent worked out, um, but there'll be so there'll be different possibilities for it. So I'll write those down, um, and then yeah. So once once I decide, you know, I got a stack of these. Like okay, I really want to do that one. That one's going to be good, um, and so I'll I'll start the process. Usually I'll take some photographs um, of myself and the right lighting. Um, if there's drapery. Um, I'll do that um, just to whatever degree I can. I don't have like a closet full of costumes or anything like that. Most of most of the details in the work is made up. 
Um, when you see that image, mm-hmm. that initial image, yeah. is it just like a figure in in a certain position, or do you see colors and shadows? Colors, yeah, uh, yeah. I don't, mm-hmm. I don't. You know, it's still pretty vague, but but the essentials are there, right? Yeah, yeah. And and a lot of times the details are there too, because often the details in my work are some of the most important part. You know, right. it's not just the overall design; it is those details. So, right. Yeah. So you see it, and you're like, okay, that's going to be like in a Vermeer sort of style. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. With the light coming in from the left, mm-hmm. and there's going to be a tapestry. Yeah. You know, I'm, yeah. I'm describing Vermeer, of course, yeah. but yeah. So it's you a good place to start. <laughs> yeah, have you done uh, Vermeer? Have you like, like, do you consciously uh, do something like, oh, this this I see as a Velasquez esque mm. kind of work, or this is more of a you know, Klimt mm, or something. Rarely. It's funny you mentioned Velasquez, though, because the, uh, I have a show in Seattle um, right now, and the the image that was used um, for the um, the imitation um, is basically based on a Velasquez. You know, one of his infantas with the big hair and the big bows and yeah. and everything, but me um and a monkey um oh, I, I saw that one yeah, <laughs> yeah yeah so i mean that is i mean that is definitely your face is on the monkey as well no 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 thanks but uh <laughs> no that's not me okay. looks like you oh, i don't know man right. you might want to look again <laughs> eyes are a little too close to see my, my visual memory is not as good as yours obviously <laughs> but um yeah so that definitely is that's inspired by something else but dude by, that that could be the next phase of your work Animal portraits with your face. <laughs> yeah. I mean, could you imagine? Uh, I could. Uh, <laughs> I could imagine that. I mean, you're traveling through time. Why not travel across species? You know? It well, could be, yeah. Yeah, very interesting. I, don't know. I think I'm able to keep them as sidekicks for now. Yeah. 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 Uh, what is the great Velasquez Las Maninas? Mm-hmm. The, that is a really interesting. Oh, yeah. Getting back to what we were talking about earlier, yeah. the whole thing about portraits mm-hmm. versus self portrait mm-hmm. is the art involved he's not involved who's looking at who yeah. and and yeah what's yeah it's fascinating fascinating yeah, yeah I, I love that I, yeah. that that's it's one of those paintings you know, maybe they're maybe they're all like this to some extent but i've always felt that that's a painting that really benefits from reading or hearing somebody mm. who knows what they're talking about mm. explaining what's going on right there. because there's so much going on yeah. you know and so many possibilities in what you're looking at that yeah it's it's really interesting to find out what might be going on, who's reflected, who, who's standing where, and right. you know, and then and then the technical stuff, the structure of how it's put together, also, yeah. which is fascinating. And the flash—you were talking about this flash of, mm-hmm. of insight or inspiration. Mm-hmm. When that flash hit him, mm-hmm. that must have been mind blowing. <laughs> like I know, uh, I here's a way uh, I could paint. Uh, a portrait of the royal family mm. through my eyes, but including the side of the canvas on which I'm painting, mm. and I'm reflected way in the back mm. in that mirror by the doorway. Right. Like, what the hell, man? <laughs> Nobody ever did anything like that before. Well, and, and, you know, did he think it was a good idea, or, or did he think, uh, what are people going to think about this? Yeah. This is weird. Yeah, so, yeah exactly. Yeah. Like, what's it mean politically yeah. to have the artist, the lowly artist, inserting yeah. himself into yeah. this royal painting? Well, and it's, you know, um, 
what he normally did was so much more straightforward. Yeah. My understanding is he actually had a, he was friends with the, the king. Right. Um, and so maybe that, you so know, he could get he away with pet, it. You know, so yeah. he could yeah, do what he wanted. Goya did a lot of portraiture as well. Mm. Oh, he? yeah. But yeah. he wasn't very flattering. No, he wasn't. <laughs> I mean, that, no, Goya's a weird one. He's yeah. definitely a weird one because he, he, he paints surfaces so amazing, the, like the sheen of fabric and and then these ghastly looking people, you know, and also strangely put together sometimes like, you know, I mean, it could be genetics, you know, I don't know. But, um, you know, where things are not quite, you know, one shoulder sticking out and one eye is way above the other. And, you know, yeah, it's pretty strange. And then, yeah, he's painting portraits of the royal family and they look like a bunch of demons, you know, (laughs) it's like, uh, wow. Yeah. You don't know how he kept getting jobs, you know, it's strange. Yeah, I mean, is it just a case of of blinded by vanity, you know, that that they couldn't imagine that <laughs> he was making them look ugly, so yeah. that must be what beauty yeah. looks like or Yeah. I, or they looked really really bad. And that was know, an improvement. That was an improvement. <laughs> yeah. I think that might be the case. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and his his stuff from the war of mm. uh, the firing squads oh, yeah. and all that stuff is he must have yeah. been. A, are there any artists that, like, if you could sit down and have dinner mm-hmm. with, let, let's say, three artists from Whoa. history, have you ever thought about that? <laughs> Assuming language isn't an issue. Yeah, yeah. I mean, are there? Do you have any particular relationships that you feel? Well, personality-wise, I don't really know that much about individual artists. Um, and most of them would Vermeer, be a pain in the probably. Oh, well, yeah, we are. Um, Vermeer. Yeah, uh, you know, is is probably the top of the heap for me. Um, is that and, because of his his technical brilliance or the the use of light? Yeah, yeah, yeah the construction of things. Um, there's also, I mean, also a part of it, and this is not a particularly healthy part of it for me. He didn't, at least now, there aren't very many of his paintings left. Yeah. I don't know if there are a whole lot more. Probably not, but. There's not a lot of them, and and I love that idea of do do five. You know, he did like thirty or whatever. I think exists something like that. But you know, do a couple really great paintings yeah. and then retire. And they're small. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. if you look at square oh, inches yeah. or something, oh, he's probably yeah. one of the least represented of yeah. the greats. But you know, but just about every piece is amazing. Yeah. You know? um, that's I've had to uh, talk myself out of the oh. You know the preciousness of of having, you know, five wonderful paintings. You know, it's like no, no, no. Yeah. I got to produce work. You know, it's kind of crazy yeah. psychological. I think thing. it was uh, the poet William Butler Yeats who said uh, a piece of art. In his case, he was talking about poetry, mm. of course, but I think it applies to everything. Uh, is never finished, mm. merely abandoned. Mm. Uh, do you feel that with paintings? Are you like, oh, I could make this even better? No. I can, no? <laughs> oh, well, then the hell with Vermeer, man. No, well, I mean, the, the idea that, um, yeah, I mean, there's a very clear point in my, in my process when I know the work is done. Ah. Um, What's that feel like? Um, well, before that, I mean, you know, I, I work in a kind of strange way. I'll work, I, you know, I draw out the, the painting. Then there's a wash of, of uh, yellow paint, like an underpainting, and then I just build up. And unlike a normal artist, I 
work from the background forward um, and work it all up to pretty much a finished state um, as I'm going along. So like the, the one we've been talking about, that background was done like that before I moved on to, uh, what would be next? Probably the dress would be next. So you've essentially made an empty room and yeah. then you fill the room in this yeah, case. Basically. I mean, the drawing is there. This, and, the, and the yellow washes over it. Right. But, yeah, so... So you draw, like, what, you draw in, in ink, just the outline? I draw in pencil. In pencil. And, and then it has this wash over it, so that kind of seals the drawing in there. Um, so the details are in the drawing. Yeah. The oh, jewelry yeah. and oh, the... Oh, yeah. Everything all works. Everything's out. in there. Okay. Yeah. So then you do the wash, mm-hmm. and after that, there's no more drawing. That's You've got what you've got. Well, and the then, drawing is preserved under that. Yeah, but I mean, you yeah. can't go in and right. move her elbow not over a lot. or something. Not yeah. much. Yeah. yeah. Um, but then, so so I'm working it up, and it's and it's looking, you know, pretty much finished. But then, to me, the best part is, you know, after I've got everything pretty much worked out, and then I go back in and adjust, and just do a little uh, the and, tinkering. Yeah, that yeah. is the best part. Actually, I usually will sign it, and then and then do that stuff. Really. Um, and that's that. Yeah, the the thing that I always say is um, I know a painting's done when I don't see it anymore. Because when I look at something, um, I will see the thing that's not working always. It's kind of like an editing thing. Hmm. Um, and, and so, yeah, when it stops speaking to me, I know it's done, you know? And it, it is very clearly the case. Interesting. Now, yeah. is that a... Is there a sadness in that? No, I don't think so. No, it's great. It's great. It's done. It's, it's done. It's, I'm happy. <laughs> it's born. It's because I don't really being. enjoy the early stages of, of the painting. Uh-huh. It just looks ugly to me, and I don't want to do it. And you know, it's 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 a chore. Um, but getting to the last little bit, it's like, oh, this looks nice. This is great. I can have fun. You know. Uh, so yeah. how how long? How much time do you spend on a piece like this? Um, I don't. I. Don't work terribly consistently, and often I'll have like three or four paintings that's going at the same time because oh. that makes it a little easier on me. Right. I've said a month, um, maybe quicker than that if I really focus my attention and worked on one painting at a time. You know. So. Do you work every day? No, no. Um, it, it varies a lot. Depends if I have, have a show. Like uh-huh. I haven't. Like I'm not working on anything right now. I've got right. a, like two things started, but because I just finished a show and I'm getting ready for my next show here um, for May, um, so I'm just sort of in that collecting ideas um, right. yeah, area. So, huh? Hmm. Now, and looking at this mm-hmm. again, you know, it, it's uh, it's an indictment of my own capacities. I'm just now noticing. The beautiful reflections uh, on that wood table. Uh, you know, maybe fun. it's because we were talking about Vermeer. But uh, now, where is the source? Of, the source of light is upper, yeah. my upper left, you're looking about, at it, that's, right? That's right, yeah. And is that something, I guess, as because you're working so much with light, that's something you have to have very clear in your head exactly mm. where the source of light is and whether it's a window or the sun, or does that not no. matter? No, because my work's pretty artificial. I mean, the mm. the lighting is not. I mean, it doesn't look like you know. I mean, the the one behind you, you know, it's that's outside, but that's not natural light. <laughs> you know, so yeah, that's that's yeah. like an overcast day or something. Yeah, although, so. although you see the sky. Yeah, so. yeah. And have you? Uh, 
abandon paintings? Do you get to a point in a painting where you say, shit, this just isn't going to work? No. <laughs> you always see them through. I do, yeah. Yeah, it's kind of weird. And I don't, you know, I don't sketch. I don't have, yeah, I don't have what most artists have, this, this all this preparation for their paintings. And they have, like, they'll do a preparatory sketch or even a painting, you know, t- before they get to the real painting. Right. And, um, yeah, my brain, I just don't have time for that. You know, I just got to do the painting. You know, it's clear in my head. It's pretty clear in my head at the beginning. So, you know, I just have to get get the things I need to accomplish that. Like I said, a couple, you know, photographs maybe. Um, you know, especially drapery. Drapery's hard. Hmm. Um, you know, if you've got a, like a big white satin dress, you know, all those little folds. Yeah. I can make it up pretty well in my head, but it's just not as good as you know taking a photograph and then working from that and right. it, you know it gets changed but but that helps a lot so. Hmm. so what was what was creating paintings like before photography because i've i mean i don't know a lot of painters but all the mm-hmm. painters i know work mm-hmm. from photographs uh, at some ex, you know to some yeah. extent so maybe that's why there were all those preparatory sketches well, or something because yeah. they they had nothing else to go and on. And there's still plenty of they artists models. Who, yeah, and there's still plenty of artists who don't use photographs who who enjoy that whole process of of building something up, you know, from nothing. Um, I I need to I need to take a, <laughs> a few a few I need to help myself along a little bit, you know. Right. So because it's just I don't have. I'm not getting any younger, you know. I can't. I don't have time. So yeah. Well, you can in your paintings, right? You can do whatever the fuck you want. Well, that's true. Yeah. So yeah, you're you're like the the real uh, Dorian Gray. Yeah. You can make yourself younger. Um, you when you're talking about your creative process and how it's sort of it takes shape in your head, and mm. then it's just a question of getting it onto the canvas. Mm-hmm. It reminds me. Uh, Someone asked my wife, Casilda, about my writing process mm-hmm. once. In a, this was a, some newspaper somewhere. And uh, we were doing a joint interview. Is the I think the first and last joint interview we <laughs> ever did. Uh, and she said, oh, Chris writes the way a dog shits. <laughs> he gets really nervous and goes around in circles for a while. And then one day he'll just squat and everything comes out. <laughs> <laughs> you don't know how accurate that is for me also. Oh, yeah. Actually, just the, the, the sitting down to paint process. Yeah. I will do everything in the house I can possibly think of to do um, before. So you're and, like and a I, that's, that's how I describe it. Doing the, the dog in the bed. You just right. kind of go around in the bed and just like, okay. Okay, 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 just sit down and then just do it. Do it. And then yeah. once I'm there, I'm good. Right. But, but that's that getting into that place where that I don't know what kind of level of concentration it is. It's you know, it's kind of almost like an altered state that you have to yeah. be in to be able to do that. And Yeah. Well that's why I said yeah. earlier where I feel like a coal miner. It takes mm. me so long to get mm-hmm. down to the point yeah. where I'm actually getting <laughs> yeah. some coal. Yeah, definitely. And so interruptions Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like, oh, let's go, mm-hmm. you know, take a week and go do this. Yeah. That pulls you back, at least mm-hmm. in my case, pulls yeah. me all the way back up to the surface. Yeah. So it's not like I just lose a week. Mm-hmm. I lose a week plus the two or three weeks it's right. going to take me to get back down there right. again. Right. Um, wh- why is that painful? Now, see, I've, as, mm-hmm. as an author, you always hear writers like, oh, writing, you know, you just 
what did Hemingway say? You just, it's easy. You just sit down at the typewriter and bleed, <laughs> you know? <laughs> yeah. So you always hear writers yeah. whining about how yeah. hard it is, but I always assumed as a visual artist, it's easy. You just, hey, look at that. It's color. It's beautiful. Uh, again, maybe I'm more like a writer because I hear lots of artists who just can't wait to really? get working, can't wait to get to their studio. And it's like, you you know it's like i don't want to hear that yeah because <laughs> you know yeah well, again once i'm in it once i'm sitting down and i can kind of i can enjoy it and especially you know it depends on where i am in the painting right um and you know like with anybody some days are good some days are, are a struggle um but yeah the the just like oh i just can't wait to sit down and paint it's like what you know, now, no what's, what's that say is that something about us because you and I share the, several things I'm, I'm discovering mm-hmm. here. This idea, you should be an artist. You should do mm-hmm. this. You should. My whole life, people are telling me I should be a writer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. From the time I wrote some story about two uh, wolves, you know, uh, whatever, when I was in fourth grade and it won this contest. And yeah, uh, you know, right through college and beyond. My feeling was that um, I felt there was ego danger. I felt like, well, people telling you you should write because you Mm. have a voice. Mm. That was the thing with me, right? Mm. Like, you know, writing teachers or English teachers or whomever told me, Mm. like, you've got a voice. And that's the thing, you know, people spend their whole lives working to get a voice. You've got it, right? right? It's just natural with you. And so you've got this huge advantage. You should do this. And I always felt like, okay, that's why I said earlier, like, you're tall, you should play basketball. I felt like, um, okay, but I don't really have anything to say. Mm. I'm 22 or 25 <laughs> or right. 30. Right. I don't know what the fuck's going on. Right. And by being the sort of writer that I was thinking of, uh, you know, or people were encouraging me to be, you have to ha- you have to have something to say. Mm. Yeah. Otherwise, like, why should anyone listen to you? Right. Right. You know, unless you're going to be like John Updike and just write stories about suburban people right. fucking their neighbors' wives. You right, know? right. 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 You know, which is which is art, but it it doesn't seem particularly mm. meaningful mm. to me in some ways. Any, what the hell am I talking about? Oh, I wonder if that relates at all to the the difficulty of getting into it. If we both have some sort of ego resistance mm. um, to seeing ourselves or taking ourselves seriously in this role as a writer or a painter or whatever. Well, for me, it was, it just, it also felt limiting. It's like, no, I want to do these other things. Mm. I want to be, hoo-hoo, you know, doing whatever on stage or, you know, and I, and I wanted all those things. Which is so 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 fucking You have to choose one. Yeah. Wait a minute. I don't want to choose one. So that made me resent the whole thing. Um, Although, look at us. Two people making a living (laughs) at art. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And we're bitching about it. Oh, I know. It's yeah. incredible. <laughs> <laughs> well, I'm not bitching about it so much now. <laughs> yeah, but, but then, but it, it is was, hard. Yeah, and you know, and I found a way to do what I wanted to do. You know, because because in my work, I mean, it doesn't sing, but um, I can do. I was always fascinated by history. Also, always fascinated by um, right. fashion design, costume design. I can do all that stuff. I can, yeah. you know, everything in my work I created. You know, I'm a jeweler. I'm a, you know, costume designer. I, I make furniture. You know, I, I get to do all those things that I would love to do. So you, you, know, you so. really do take after your grandmother. Oh, yeah. yeah. What, what did your parents do? And, and why did that skip a generation, do you think? Oh, well. Uh, <laughs> um, 
We can move on to something else if that's <laughs> no. I just don't know how far I want to get into into. Uh, I'm having mm, some issues with my mom right now. Uh, um, okay. Does but, she um, listen to podcasts? No, probably not. Probably I not. think I think we're safe. My dad was in the Air Force. Uh-huh. Um, my mom and dad got married when they were seventeen and sixteen. Oof. Um, because I was on the way, which wow. he hates me telling everybody, yeah. but. Um, and so I didn't see my dad a lot when I was growing up because he was always overseas and we didn't go because it was no no place fun, Green Bay Labrador or something, you know. Um, and mom was a housewife and um, we moved around a lot. Um, I was the fat kid. Um, oh, so only, sad. only child? <laughs> no, I wish, but um, no. I have a younger brother and sister uh, um, who are great. But, um, but I was the oldest, yes, um, for about five years six years so i was i was pretty much and then my dad was gone all the time so i was pretty dominant in the house growing up uh, you were the yeah. man of the house yeah mm-hmm. and not happy because you know i was i was a fat kid and wet the bed till i was like 12 or something and you know school was not the place you know that was supportive and nurturing and all that stuff so yeah i was not happy as a, as a kid um and so i kind was of made hap- other people miserable too yeah i can relate to that <laughs> yeah. was the unhappiness due to moving around a lot that you felt unsettled and disconnected from friends and all that well it has to have, yeah definitely some of that um you know i was just shy and it's like a new kid all the time you know it's yeah. like and you know like make this big tragedy here but you know i i was not the person who people wanted to be friends with you know who they'd never met you know so something else we shared yeah i I lived in 20 houses before i got out of high school three high schools in four years yeah yeah i had three high schools too oh really yeah where where were yours uh um, uh central california oh okay sacramento area right Yeah. yeah i was in Western Pennsylvania, Connecticut, and upstate New York. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Yeah. We're, we're sad. We're, we're sad. Well, <laughs> I don't know. I mean, the way, maybe I'm sadder than I think, mm. you know, because the way my sister, who's four years younger than, mm. than I am, every time we, my parents moved to a new place, within a month she had the local accent, mm. you know? <laughs> Yeah. I remember when they moved to Jacksonville and mm. she started talking like she was from Jacksonville <laughs> and I never got an accent from anywhere. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, people don't know where the hell I am from yeah. listening to my accent. But um, so she was sort of desperate to integrate mm-hmm. and find her crew and, you know, mm-hmm. and I became the sort of aloof, arrogant mm-hmm. asshole. Yep. Yeah. I relate to that. <laughs> yeah. 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 So... Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. This this is like mutual psychotherapy here. So, um, getting back to your dinner, your dinner. So you've got um, you've got Vermeer. Oh, my dinner is like what? Yeah, yeah, Vermeer. Yeah. Um, well, I'm always embarrassed by this, but my kind of my favorite painter is a mid 19th century portrait painter, um, Winterhalter, who painted mm. like all the you know Queen Victoria and her family and the Empress Eugenie and Napoleon III, very big, fluffy you know, big crinolines. And, um, I just enjoy looking at his work, Uh you know, it's, it's, it is what it is. It's not anything great. Uh, um, for a long time it was held up as the, you know, the depths that art had, um, 
sunk to in the mid-19th century that the um, Impressionists were rebelling against. So that's how you'd always see his work in art books as like, oh, look how awful this was. Of course, they had to do something. Um, And now, you know, people see that it's like uh, a lot of things. Things have been reassessed and, um, you know, he's good at what he did, you know. Um, But I don't know why. I can't really explain it, but I just love the big fluffy things and mm. very glamorous you know beautiful colors um so it's a little embarrassing but that's what it is <laughs> that's the truth well <laughs> you know imagine them you know being beamed from the past to this dinner party mm. he'd be really thrilled to be there <laughs> yeah, imagine like wow he I, was a hard worker i don't know yeah he'd be just sit there and but he probably a glass didn't of wine think of fall himself. asleep as a great artist, right? I mean, he was a, a guy with a job. He was a he was a workhorse. Yeah. yeah. So. Yeah, it, he wasn't playing the games that Goya was playing or Velasquez. No. Yeah. And he wasn't trying to say anything at all other than make people look good. Right. You know. Right. Yeah, so. Okay. So third third oh, dinner party guest. Tough. I got a third one. I mean, you could have Van Gogh, but he'd probably mm. like you know <laughs> cause a ruckus. <laughs> Uh, Egon uh, Schiele would masturbate under the table. Like on the table. They're on um, the table. Wow. Egon, what do you think of Egon Schiele as an um, I liked him more when I was younger. And I went through a big Klimt Schiele. Klimt yeah. Schiele, yeah. They like, were like, wow, this is cool. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, I definitely still respect, you know, respect their art. Yeah. And Klimt, not, Klimt yeah. is like the thing that's amazing is when you see an artist and you know within a second who it is mm-hmm. oh, right? yeah. it's like you you yeah. hear you know five seconds of a song and you say oh mm-hmm. that's carlos santana right you know right or How, Mahler or gustav Mahler. <laughs> yeah i love yeah, Mahler. boom that's yeah. Mahler. Yeah. yeah yeah it's either Mahler or the score to some crazy movie you know? <laughs> yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, Mahler. What's the connection? Well, Mahler, Klimt, and Sheila were all in Vienna mm-hmm. at the turn of the yeah. 20th century. Yeah. Mahler's wife was psychoanalyzed by Freud. Oh, Alma. Alma Mahler, yeah, yeah. yeah. And then she married the architect Walter uh, uh, Gropius, okay. who yeah. was the Bauhaus movement. Yeah, yeah. 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 She's an interesting woman, yeah. Alma. Yeah. Apparently, she and Gustav never had sex, hmm. not even once. So well, the, he they had children. Oh, did they? Yeah. Oh, well, then they must have. <laughs> I think they were. You're his. right, because one yeah. of the children died. Yeah. yeah. Then what would what what did I think? Mm. Oh, I'll have to look that up. But mm. yeah, obviously, if they had children, they must have had I sex. Think, I think they maybe unless once or twice. Unless she was screwing someone. Well, else. she was pretty frisky. She was yeah, frisky, yeah. and she liked smart, powerful yeah, guys. Yeah. There was a third guy. She married. Yeah. Or she had an affair with some other yeah, well-known historical figure from that period. But anyway, Alma. Yeah. Okay, so uh, where were we? Your dinner party. We've got Vermeer. I don't have a third one. You don't have a third? Damn. It's too bad there aren't more famous female Bronzino. painters. How's Bronzino. That? How's that? Never heard of him. <laughs> um, uh, uh, late Renaissance mannerist painter. Very weird stretched out bodies and there's a, the famous the most famous of his pieces is a allegory of love with a venus and the, i think i feel like we talked about this actually um with uh, cupid um sort of molesting her and there's all this oh, crazy and you did stuff a, going in the background yeah, yeah we talked about it at the dinner it. the yeah, other yeah, night yeah yeah, yeah. um and it, it, you know I, I couldn't tell you why i liked his work i mean 
it's just very interesting and weird and you know everyone's skin tone is you know slightly gray and their eyes are weird and um they don't look like they kind of look like aliens but um i don't know i really like something it. cool about them when you look <laughs> at, at earlier we're talking earlier you said like when you look at older work and mm-hmm. you see you were going for something you couldn't quite get and all mm-hmm. that um and again there's a, obviously a parallel with writing i look at stuff i wrote 20 mm-hmm. years ago and it's like wow yeah dude, i mean what are you trying to do here mm-hmm. um but i guess my my question is when you look at your eyes that you painted, mm. do you see do you see your younger self either in the eyes or in the execution of the eyes somehow? No, no, <laughs> no. They're just part of the painting. It's just part. Of, yeah. yeah. So it's I mean, it's it completely external to it you. Is, once it is. Once it's out yeah. there, it's you know I know it's me. It looks like me, um, but it's not me. But it is me. You know. But I don't. I don't. Generally, I don't look at it and go, oh, yeah. Yeah, I was happy then. Or something. Yeah, or, oh, those were rough years. I can see how, you know, anxious I am there. There's none of that. mm -mm. Because because I'm not telling that story in the work. Um, Trying to think. Not even unintentionally. Have I done? Have I? Not really. No. I mean, I I must be to some degree unintentionally, subconsciously. I mean, I'm... I'm loading it full of all sorts of stuff, I'm sure, but um, yeah. it isn't my intention or, or, or I'm, tr- I'm trying to think of an example where I recognize it, but I, I can't think of anything where I actually recognize and go, oh, yeah, okay, yeah. I see, I see something. You know, I'll see every once in a while, I'll, see, I'll do a painting that has an expression that, you know, the, the, the pose of it, you know, it's like, oh, yeah, that's, that's, that's kind of me. <laughs> yeah, we talked about this the other night a little bit. Yeah. So it's not that's me 15 years ago. It's mm. that's an aspect of me. Right. And I can see that in a, in a especially if I'm if I'm kind of it's a sidelong glance where I'm just kind of looking out of the corner of my eye, you know. Mm. And other people will say, "Oh god, you know, that's so you that painting, you know." Yeah. I'm like, okay, you know. <laughs> but but I don't it doesn't have any weight to it. Yeah. Know? So your description of this of this process is so interesting because it's it seems like it's on one side completely unrestrained subconscious mm. you know things happen the way they mm. happen and they pop up mm. and then once they pop up it's absolute control yeah <laughs> and detachment it's, it is yeah it definitely is it's very very interesting <laughs> yeah. process yeah. yeah and there more i mean a larger percentage of the time now, um, I do, I, I will do work that didn't just spring fully formed, like Venus on the half shell or whatever, um, where I will, I'll have an idea for something. Like like the lorgnette one, um, I had an idea, I don't know which piece, I, it, was a, it was a body of work, there are like five and then six um, pieces, um, that once I've thought of the first one it's like oh well let's do things about vision and so they were all like glasses or monocle or a Mm -hmm. veil or a mirror um and so um and this one um there's a based on a obscure there's a queen of greece actually in the 19th century who was very short-sighted and um 
you know, even in her official portraits, sometimes her photographic portraits, she'd put her lorgnette up and it's like, she's cool. You know, I thought she's cool. And so that, I think that inspired that, you know, gave me that idea of, of doing the lorgnette in a portrait, you know, um, because it's something, you know, you usually take your glasses off for your photograph. Or your, yeah, you know. it's enigmatic. So. Like, why is she worried about mm. what she sees? Oh, right, right. Yeah. 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 In that sense, it's kind of hearkening back to the Velasquez we were talking mm. about earlier, where the artist is yeah. intentionally looking right. toward us. Yeah. Yeah. And so all those paintings had, had you know, it was, it was, there was a sort of a, an intellectual inspiration behind it rather than just my you know the depths of my subconscious you know? yeah so. we were talking about earlier you're talking about um uh the different sort of schools of painting mm. over historical periods mm. and is there what's happening now is there yeah. Uh, you know what I mean? Like, don't ask me in front of the, <laughs> the, the gallery, the gallery owner. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah, I'm. I'm. I don't live much in in the contemporary art scene at all. Right. Uh, I don't. I don't see much that inspires me, or definitely doesn't inspire me, because my inspiration is such a st- yeah. particular thing. But um, I mean, it, it's a good thing and a bad thing. I mean, the the bad thing is the sort of i'm kind of ignorant you know i don't really know what's going on so i can't talk about those kind of things um sometimes it makes it difficult for relations relationships with um artists or Mm. galleries or people who know about this stuff because i i kind of intentionally keep myself separate um some of it's not and not a lot of interest but also i don't want to be influenced by anything especially early in my career it's like i kind of kept a distance because I didn't want to do work that was like anybody else or, you know, so I, it was intentional to just keep myself a little safe. At least not anybody else who's been alive in the last well, yeah, 150 yeah. years. I could steal from all sorts of dead people. <laughs> I don't care. Yeah. You're and a grave robber. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> now, do, are any of these paintings based on another painting specifically? Oddly enough, this painting here um, is based on a ter- terborg I don't know how to pronounce it, Um, where there is a building in the background, there is a figure, some sort of maid or whatever, um, pulling something out of a barrel in the background, and there is a doorway that leads someplace, Um, but there's there's a big group of figures in the foreground also. So I took that, and and that was a very intentional, you know, I love the setup of this, um, but I want to make it French, you know, Mm. and I don't want this big clump of people sitting there i want it to be uh, i'm not sure I, I think in the if i'm remembering the painting correctly um the focus was on that cup this group in the foreground and then just background there was this stuff going on my interest was what was going on in the background where there's this door leading to i don't know where you know yeah. so that was that was yeah definitely based on i don't think there's probably another piece of mine that has been unless i was paying you know, homage to a particular right. painting um, that has been as influenced by a particular painting. So. Yeah. Great. Obviously, that Bronzino we were talking about um, was based on, you know, another painting, but taking the female nude and replacing it with a male nude and then changing details. So it's a very personal painting, actually. Yeah. Do you, where, where do you see it going? 
your your career? Do you think mm. you'll stay in this period? Do you think you'll move to another historical period? Well, I am moving. I I do move around. I mean, like the Velazquez is, you know, 1600s. That's probably the earliest I've gotten. Mm. Um, you know, this most recent show in Seattle, um, I had things from the 1940s. Oh, really? You know, there's actually a painting around here somewhere that's from the 1950s. Yeah. Oh, like an little, Art Deco kind of thing? No, just like, you know, 50s, a little pillbox hat and a little veil and, uh-huh. you know, pearl earrings and stuff. And yeah. the net, the, the hat, the net of the hat is on fire. So, <laughs> yeah. Little, is that on your website? Yeah. Yeah, yeah cool. Yeah. Cool. Well, listen, we've gone over uh, over an hour. I've taken too much of your time, no but this problem. has been fascinating. Yeah, it's lovely. It's something I know very little about, uh, so it's great to to uh, talk to someone who knows a lot. Well, it sounds like there's lots of parallels too. So yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So we can we can go back to whining about our <laughs> being creative. Yes, I'm, I'm in the midst of trying to get a book going. I, yeah. I, I have to imagine paintings are easier just because. I mean, maybe a book is like a, a Diego Rivera mural or yeah, something. Mural. It's so yeah, mural. <laughs> but anyway, listen. Thank you very much. Thank uh, you. The website again is stephenodonnellartist.com. Artist.com. Yeah. Check it out. You'll you'll love his stuff. It's very interesting. Thanks, Steve. Thank you. He said, baby, what's the big deal? Feel what you want to feel. Say what you want to say. You're going to die one day. For example, I could kiss you just because I want to. What's the difference if you turn away? One day Why do you waste your time Thinking about your reputation Trying to meet an expectation Wondering what they're gonna say When everyone you ever know Said it for a headstone I don't wanna give the end away But we're gonna die one day Your body is an animal Doesn't have Soft touch Why don't you let it out to play Your heart is in a birdcage Singing in your chest You wanna shut it up or give it a rest You're gonna die one day Why do we waste our time Think about an obligation Running from a confrontation Wondering what we ought to say Smoke alarms will dance into the ground.